This is the part where I say welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast, but I'm not going to be able to say that because we're not going to be continuing with Dubai Works Business Podcast anymore. Uh, Lubna Handan is beside me. She's smiling. Uh, we will be introducing a new host and a new format to this show. We've been going since 2019. We've done every Friday over 250 episodes interviewing the founders and the leaders uh, that make Dubai a business capital. And uh, it will continue under the Smashy Business umbrella, Namaker, our brand that we've uh, also published Dubai Works on. Uh, the last episode was with Homie last week. Uh, but now the new format will be a smashy business daily show. Uh, and uh, yeah, Lubna, uh, ex-editor of Arabian Business, uh, a well-known journalist in the region and a real eye for a story on business. So we're delighted that she's joined us and we're delighted that smashy business, I, I think, is going to be leveling up big time now. Oh, thanks, Richard. Wow, what an introduction that was. <laughs> so I'm Lubna Hamdan uh, and with Smashy Business Daily, we're going to be basically, simply put, getting uh, down to business. Um, thanks a lot, Richard, for um, passing the reins to me. I promise I'm going to take good care of the show. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And yeah, I think the new format like, will be a little bit more conversational. The, you know, I'll join you for a few days and you'll have a few more of the hosts, of part of Augustus Media and the Love and Dubai hosts on the show. And you'll be having it. Is that the idea that you're having a lot of guests on as well? Yeah, absolutely. So basically, we're going to through, go through the most uh, important and top uh, business stories that everyone is talking about. Uh, possibly most of the time, they're going to be controversial because you know how I am, Richard. Uh, <laughs> Richard told me when he first hired me, he said, I know what you are. When someone tells you that, you know that, you know, you have the free reign uh, to, to go controversial. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so in a nutshell, Smashy Business Daily is quality journalism for those who dare to ask the difficult questions. Uh, tune in uh, daily for untold stories and uh, unorthodox opinions uh, with myself, Ibn Handan, and sometimes uh, Richard and then other co-hosts from Augustus Media. Um, this morning, uh, we're going to talk about Salik. Uh, Dr. Habib Al-Mullah thinks Salik should double fees in Dubai's central business district. Habib Al-Mullah is a prominent lawyer in the UAE. Um, next up, we're going to talk about the UAE leading IPOs in the GCC. Is it time for regional exchanges to merge? And then Starbucks Mina denies political affiliations and agendas, but what is the future of the coffee giant uh, here in the region? Uh, and then we have a very special interview with Ayub Al Ma'moon, Skyscanner travel agent, to discuss travel trends for 2024. Amazing. Looking forward to the show. Me too. <laughs> Okay, welcome to the Smashy Business Daily Show. Previously, Dubai Works. Richard, you're, you've given me your baby, technically. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, yeah, I'm Richard and Lubna, welcome to Smashy Business. Uh, so I'm Lubna Hamdan, welcome guys. Um, first of all, I think let's discuss the, the morning news. Um, Habib Al Mullah, he's a prominent lawyer in the UAE. Uh, and uh, he's discussing Salik on Twitter this morning. So uh, apparently he thinks that Salik should double the fees um, in the central business areas in Dubai. Uh, he also said that we should lower uh, prices of Salik uh, uh, during times that are not peak times and then increase the prices when it is peak times, which, which uh, does make sense. But what do you think about double doubling the pricing? Yeah, I think it's fascinating. Salik, obviously, we're part of the... UAE IPO strategy recently, so we've a lot more uh, insight into uh, their earnings and their revenue and their makeup and their prospectus and everything like that. You know, previously people might have thought that Salek was was 
part of RTA or, you know, it's just something that's on the roads, but mm-hmm. uh, it's up in the UAE and the UAE backs some projects that some are massive successes, like Burj Khalifa and others sort of don't have the same trajectory. And I think, you know, transport uh, as a percentage of GDP is obviously really, really high here mm-hmm. and, and it works, right? And I think, uh, you know, pe- people sort of um, understand uh, that taxes and uh, funding for roads and transport in the in a city that's a city within cities and a city that's continuing to evolve is needed and Salik is a key part of that. I think uh, what 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 a suggestion there might be to uh, might be for kind of city planners to understand congestion, but also understand that kind of diversification away from oil and how can you get extra coffers into the city's cabinets and things like that and maybe mm-hmm. by by sort of increasing revenue with vehicles like Salik is interesting. Uh, it might be also interesting to shareholders of Salik, people who have an eye on the dividends, to see the potential ways for the, that business to generate more revenue. In terms of the, the granular details and technicalities of, you know, I think everything, every like, you know, uh, typically these decisions in countries could be made by road and transport ministers, right? And I think, there's always pros and cons to policies, isn't there? Absolutely. But what I really want to know, Richard, is how much is your Salik bill every every <laughs> month? That's what I want to know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, or do you cycle? You're you're a cyclist, right? Yeah, I don't cycle. On, I don't I don't cycle as a commute in this city. Uh, but um, yeah, you know how many Salik how many Salik uh, bridges are tolls are there in the city like it's it's kind of um it's increasing right yeah i mean so we're gonna have uh in november this year we're gonna have two new uh salic tolls mm. uh so it is increasing uh it's getting harder and harder to you know to avoid salic uh tolls so yeah do you think people should try and avoid salic tolls um i think that habib al-mullah is right uh in what he's saying i do think that yeah, people should try and avoid them. But was it, sorry, was he saying that uh, Salek should increase the charges in the IFC to? Yes. So uh, in the business districts, he does think that Salek should increase uh, okay. tolls to uh, relieve some uh, congestion, right? Yeah, because yeah, the traffic is getting absolutely uh, crazy in Dubai at the moment, which is great. We mm. love to see Dubai uh, thriving. But, you know, you don't want to be stuck in traffic for an hour, hour and a half, right? Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, I think it's good overall. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think, you know, I remember when I lived in London, you know, because the there was no, there was no, no one had cars in the city because the congestion charges and the uh, parking spaces were so expensive. And it, and it sort of, the incentive alignment there was that it made people take public transport. Exactly. Know? And the uh, government is is uh, encouraging uh, people to, to use the metro. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. yeah, I think there's pros and cons to it. Like, I'd look at it from a Salic business opportunity <laughs> as opposed to personally. But, I just, I, you know, I don't think, I wouldn't subscribe to this idea that we need to avoid things. I think we need to understand dynamics of cities. And I think um, we should we should be privileged that, if you look at neighboring countries, the road and transport uh, uh, roads aren't as good, right? Like the network and the investment yeah. in transport isn't as good. And like we're quite blessed here in mm-hmm. terms of uh, as the city expands, you see new big highways and things like that. And obviously they can't go fast enough, but the the project management department of the RTA is known as the, it always wins the award of all the semi-state entities. 
And yeah. so much so that like that project manager entity gets given gigs by the government that are uh, related to construction, right? Like the RTA is building Hatta, not like not like Alec or one of these big construction companies, the RTA, because they know that project manager is so damn good, right? Like Absolutely. The, all that stuff, so. And I think a lot of people um, are regretting not investing in Salik as well, uh, right? And uh, it's obviously had a successful IPO uh, on the DFM. Uh, and then speaking of IPOs, uh, the nice UAE... Segue, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, speaking IPOs. Of IPOs, yeah. So the UAE uh, is leading uh, or led uh, IPO transactions uh, last year uh, in the GCC with $5.5 billion in transactions, um, which leads me to my next point. Uh, Richard, do you think it's time for um, uh, the regional exchanges to merge? What do you think? Yeah, punchy question. Uh, yeah, look, I think it's fascinating, right? I think what's happening with the IPOs is fascinating. It reminds me not reminds me because I didn't live in Russia in 1990, but it, it, I can see the patterns with that. And I know you, you probably understand being half Russian, you probably understand this, but like there was the whole thing, right, when Russia kind of opened up a bit and uh, the period is known for, as loans of, for shares. And yeah. like after Pristokir, after that period under Yeltsin, and it was kind of a land grab for semi-state state companies that were now in the hands of... Uh, private sector right it was a mass privatization and uh, people were able to gulp up or you know grab up a lot of these companies and I think what's happening here is a regulated version of that right okay the IPOs are uh, small percentages like five and ten percent but you're getting a chance to own uh, an asset right so um, what what is it driven by it's driven by uh, like you know it needs the, the markets the capital markets are a key driver in any economy. One of the strengths of the trillion, trillion dollar economy, biggest economy in the world, China hasn't passed them out, is the US. And one of the key drivers is capital markets. Not every country has huge capital markets, right? Like, and we know the NASDAQ and the, and, uh, the main exchange in the US, like the, the, the two main exchanges in the US that drive a lot of that, right? Right. Uh, so I think, I think, Couple, couple markets are vital for a region and economy. And what we've got in this region is legacy bourses like the Kuwait Exchange and a few others. And now what we've also got is like these countries in the region are sort of like competing with each other, right? Whether it's hosting big events or whatever. And they also want the most valuable stock exchanges. Exactly. So uh, so even like when, when, when startups are started up in countries like Lebanon, they're announced as Abu Dhabi listings, yep. right? But one of the strategy around that is just to create more liquidity and to have more uh, listings on your stock exchange. Not a vanity thing, but like kind of, like who's who's got, who's bigger? <laughs> Absolutely, you know, I remember when RMX went, uh, you know, IPO'd on uh, NASDAQ. NASDAQ yeah. uh, and I remember Fadi Gandur at the time, uh, you know, a few years later, uh, there was a, con a business conference and uh, Alibar, uh, was uh, talking about investing in the region and in startups. And then right after him, uh, Fadi Randur went on stage and he said, you know, uh, sorry, Abu Rashid, but where were you? You know, why didn't you invest in, um, in RMX? Nobody mm. wanted to invest in RMX. So I think, yeah, seeing more IPOs here, seeing startups IPO, uh, you know, go public, sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, I get the point. It's, like it's great for the region, right? Yeah, um, so, yeah it, could, it could, like RMX... Yeah, I mean, but the companies that have done the Nasdaq in the last few years, like Swivel and Rami, hasn't worked at all. 
and Angami are going to delist now. So I think that I think you know five. Maybe, ten maybe years they ago, should have listed in the region. In the region, maybe they should have. But maybe too, but like the the DFM, the Orion Financial Market, didn't have even Nasdaq at the time. Right. There are now three exchanges in the UAE. It's probably too many, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I think the DFM. I'm not sure the intricacies of this, but I think the Dubai Financial Markets is kind of. You know, there's two options there and it's nice that they have nasdaq because people can kind of dual listings as well like there's been a few dual listings mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. recently as well like mm-hmm. I, you know i i think competition is healthy like in europe you've got frankfurt you've got london and in london you have the alternative investment market you've got you've got different places to listen but i think the general point is that like people like fadi Randor and aramex 20 30 years ago when they were lit, choosing their options you know, it wasn't just that maybe the exchanges didn't have liquidity. It was just that there wasn't this strategy around exchange growth and values, right? right? right. Like, Absolutely. and now going back to what I mentioned about the state companies, like what, during the pandemic when Emirates needed cash, right? They, they, it was a state bailout, right? And uh, which, which is all well intended and all fine, but like, you know, the next time they need 10, 12, 20 billion dollars, they can just go to, they can just list 5%. And people are kind of saying that'll never happen. But like, look at all the listings in Abu Dhabi in the last couple of years. Yeah. Like, you know, when Adnoc distribution was kind of the first one and then Aramco followed and then Adnoc yeah. others followed. But like, they, they, they've seen, you know, they're oversubscribed them about like crazy numbers, right? We've never seen this before. Absolutely. And, and the oversubscription then, when they go public, they pop a bit, but then the the trading volume isn't there. Yeah. So yeah. I think um I think there's a still maturity in the capital markets needed. Like we mm-hmm. don't have in the US on Robinhood, there's about thirty million daily active retail traders, mm-hmm. which all the old school brokers don't like, but it just creates this liquidity. Yeah. So we kind of need that, and we need like you know there's good startups in Dubai like at Baraka and others who are like Robinhoods here. It's, they haven't. Oh, they haven't added the regional exchanges to their app yet. Yeah. So it's actually really hard to do retail trading on apps. Like BHM Mubasher is the only one in Abu Dhabi that that I can d- trade daily on the regional exchanges. And even for me to be able to trade, even if I have a comment Saudi residency, even for me to trade retail on Saudi market is almost impossible to get on. Right. So I missed the NBC uh, IPO, which I'm annoyed about. Yeah. But like that also... Even though they're not even paying dividends, mm-hmm. they uh, their IPO popped as well. It was like five percent or ten percent uh, listing. So yeah, look, I don't know. I don't think that I think competition's healthy. I think maybe in the UAE three is too many, but like why not have two? Like mm-hmm. two, there's two in most uh, advanced, fast growing economies. And um, Hadiwal obviously is is going to try and be the and probably is at the moment the largest markup because of uh, you know Aramco's choice. Uh, to list there and even at that time people were surprised that they chose there yeah uh, right. but I think in hindsight with a future vision I think it's good that people are listening in the region mm-hmm. yeah absolutely um, speaking of healthy uh, businesses and successes uh, and maybe some failures I suppose which is uh, Starbucks is going through that at the moment Starbucks mm. is having some uh, issues uh, they uh, released a statement a couple of days ago. They're still t- everyone is still talking about this. They're denying political affiliations uh, when it comes to the Gaza um, uh, genocide, uh, and uh, they're denying any uh, agendas, any political agendas. Um, but what is the future of Starbucks in the region? Right, they're facing issues in Egypt. Uh, they're closing down in places like Morocco. Um, what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, look, I, I love I love homegrown stories. I love brands who rise up from here. So anyone who's in the coffee trade, like there's a cool uh, coffee COFE app out of Kuwait, and like just like to see more like homegrown brands in terms of globalization and these brands. You know, like um, they've done well for a while, and they're mm-hmm. actually, I, I you know I wonder, Lumna, like when when these brands go through crises and stuff like that, like they're they're so well equipped with teams of PR expertise and stuff like that and they kind of weather the storm sure their CEO might come under pressure for quarterly revenues and things like that but they usually get through it I don't mm-hmm. think like I don't think public perception really kills them massively however uh, they're quite entrenched and the guy who set up Starbucks is always like uh, he's in Davos last week and he's always at FII and Riyadh like so he's like they kind of know what they're doing and they're they're repped so well in the region like Al Shai is a powerhouse and they're mm-hmm. so aggressive with their in a positive way with their expansion like you know, uh, we actually all like those drive-throughs, twenty-four hour Starbucks. That yeah. suits our behavior. So, I think like that's the thing about uh, capitalism, globalization. Like, all well and good. Like, what the you know, uh, I'll talk about the, the what they've been accused of, but all, all well and good. But like, you know, if you don't like something, you have a choice not to purchase there. But if they're if they're providing something of value in the market, generally they're going to do well. Uh, you know, I think public perception is one thing and marketing and image it can can hurt you. But if your product is still superior and your offering and your brand is still superior. Like is what, it superior though? I feel I, like the coffee is yeah, not that great. I, no, but I, I think it's, yeah, I, told, I think they've got the kind of hearts and minds part. Think, I'm trying to get you yeah. in trouble here, but uh, but yeah. you're doing well. <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't mind. I don't mind talking about the, 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 the what they've been accused of. Like, I'd like to know though, like, because you know, the, there's been conspiracy theories about the Starbucks logo and the star and all that from the past. And yeah. like, I'd like to know, like, you know, I know McDonald's got some crap about like donating to the Israeli army and stuff like that. But like, I'd like to know like the real accusation because I wouldn't mm-hmm. judge them on that. Like, yeah. you know, people like boycott Starbucks, but I'd like to really know, like, you know. I feel like when you have a brand like Ben & Jerry's that comes out and has the courage to say what's happening is, is wrong. And then you've got Starbucks, uh, you know, just kind of, um, you know, treading the line, let's say, not really wanting to make a specific statement. Um, consumers in the Middle East are kind of fed up with that, yeah. uh, I think, you know. Um, yeah, but you've got you got to understand, though, that like if you're CEO of a globalistic company, I'm not even sure if Starbucks listed, but uh, you've got fiduciary responsibility and shareholder responsibility. Like, you know, not every brand, I really respect what Ben & Jerry is doing. It's mm-hmm. not just now. They've been... They've been uh, finding distributors in that part of the world for a long time, and yeah. they've really and the, but they but their origin story that David Goliath origin story and that sort of like fighting Haggadahs and you know that sort of passion that they had as a purpose driven company identifies them. Mm-hmm. But some some don't like some brands are vanilla, right? Like and some brands yeah. aren't political, and I think it's okay for brands not mm-hmm. to be political. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah I, I, I do agree with you because at the end of the day, you know, we, we've all got to make some money. We've all got to make a living. I do feel like Howard of, of Starbucks can take the risk, you know. He's, he, how much money does this guy have? <laughs> so I think we can agree to disagree on that, Rich. Oh, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I mean, look, look, long term, I wish there was a Middle Eastern Starbucks that conquered this region and the world. Hey, you know what? We're going to speak uh, in a couple of days. We're going to speak to one of the partners behind Stars Coffee. Uh, so uh, 
Great. The assets in uh, in Russia, uh, in Moscow, I believe, were acquired by the Starbucks assets were acquired by uh, Russian rapper Timati and Anton Pinsky. Uh, so who knows? You know, they turned it into Stars Coffee. They bought it for it. peanuts for nothing. <laughs> Fair play. <laughs> Maybe yeah. some some uh, playful competition here. We could have Stars Coffee and Starbucks that people can choose. Yeah. But like, go, go to the point. Like, if you've got a small restaurant right in Dubai at the moment and you're serving coffee, do you think that? You know, should they be posting on Instagram about the genocide that's happening? Or, and if they're not, then are you going to ask them questions like you're asking? The, or is it just because Starbucks are, are big that they should speak? Do you know what I mean? Like, I agree. I do think, you know, with power comes great responsibility, right? right? So surely if you're a bigger company, yes, you do have the responsibility and you can take the heat, uh, right? Because as you said, they're pretty resilient. Yeah. So fair enough. Okay, <laughs> I think we're, we're I think we're agreeing to agree on this one. But yeah, <laughs> right. um, cool. Thanks, Richard. About how? So last question: How do you feel about handing over Dubai Works? Yeah, I I mean, it, you know, the I think what we want to do with the smashy business is fill a void, fill a gap that and people's uh, daily consumption habits in business and you know in, in the Gulf particularly. And, uh, you know, I've loved doing Smashy. I've done, loved doing the Dubai Works Business Podcast for five years and over 250 episodes uh, with CEOs and founders. But I think a lot of that was under the Smashy Business sort of umbrella. And just having an actual trained professional journalist take over is, uh, is a great evolution. So I'm excited to see to and be part of this sort of uh, evolution and rebranding and repositioning and higher frequency and just to tell more stories, right? Like... Um, you know, we're talking about some of those coffee companies like Dubai Works has interviewed a lot of those great kind of entrepreneurs in the mm -hmm. F&B sector and things like that. And I think, you know, what what uh, the Smashy Business Daily will do is just continue to tell those stories. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Good yeah. luck with it. Love that. Thank you. <laughs> hey, you're going to be my, my co-host, right? Like sometimes at least? Yeah, yeah, we'll jump in, have a chat. Yeah, Not every I'll day, try and, but... Uh... Try and navigate those punchy questions, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, right. What are uh, what is your message to your fans, uh, Richard? One last message to the Dubai Works uh, audience. Yeah, I think we'll you know we'll drop a, a little recording on uh, on the on the Apple kind of Podio podcast to just kind of tell people what's happening with that feed. But I think you know this is a fresh start. Like this is their first episode of the Smashy Business Daily, and we're mm -hmm. doing it as a kind of a beta, soft run. So um, mm -hmm. you know I think. Uh, yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting to see where it'll go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let us know, also, guys, uh, what you think of this. Uh, and yeah, untold, untold uh, stories uh, and unorthodox opinions. I guess here at uh, Smashy Business <laughs> Daily, where we dare to ask the difficult questions. <laughs> Richard was just victim number one, I guess today. Okay. Um, I hope he'll be back tomorrow. Cool. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't see any difficult questions. Okay, super. Uh, so I think, uh, yeah, I think we're going to move on to, uh, to an interview now. Uh, so uh, we're going to take a short break and then we speak to Ayub al Ma'moon, a uh, Skyscanner travel expert, to discuss uh, 2024 travel trends. So yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> Want to travel but don't know where to? Well, you're not alone. A 
apparently most travelers in the UAE have no idea where they want to fly, uh, which is exactly why everywhere was the most searched destination on global travel marketplace Skyscanner. Uh, with us to discuss travel trends for 2024 is Ayub Al-Ma'moon, a Skyscanner travel expert. Welcome. Thank Ayub. you for having me. Thanks. And how are you feeling? You landed from London, uh, you're jet lagged. How are you feeling? And most importantly, what are some tips to uh, to battle the jet lag? Well, um, there are so many things that you can try. I think it starts before you actually fly. So making sure that you prepare the gear. If you have an eye mask, um, you can have that during your flight. The food that you eat as well during the flight can be can make a difference. Uh, I think we consume over 3,000 calories during a six-hour flight. Um, that's why, yeah, what? and that's that's a lot. So basically, you need to unwind after that. You need to plan um, your trip beforehand. And also when you land, just make sure that you reset your clock to where it was from your departure point so that by the time you land, you are adjusted and you can have a good night's sleep. I'm sorry, did I hear that correctly? 3,000 calories, is yeah. that on the flight or while flying? While flying, so just the fatigue of the flight, according to a sleep expert. Wow, Julie Malone. Yes. Shout out, Julie, you're the best. Um, explain that to me, though. What exactly, I need to know this, right? Because us girls are always trying to diet, um, and men are dieting right now as well, right? Um, you know, fitness and health is, is big in 2023 and in 2024. What is it? Is it the food in the airport? Is it and and what foods to avoid to to avoid the jet lag? Is it carbs? Uh, what is it? Yeah, well, I'm not sure I can speak about the foods to avoid. I'm not an expert in nutrition, yeah. but I think it's just the experience of travel itself. You know, right. leaving early, going to the airport, running to the taxi or to the gate. Right. It's it's a lot of calories to burn. Right. So uh, you yeah. know what? Uh, that's the only time that uh, I get something positive out of being late to everything. I'm always the last one to board the flight. So yeah, I guess keep being late and uh, run so you could run and burn some calories, right? Yeah, run that to sounds the gate. like a good tip. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So um, Skyscanner has just partnered with Gunnar Garfus, the first person to have traveled to every single country in the world twice, not once, twice. Wow. Imagine having enough money to do that. I don't know how he does that, but it's like a dream job, isn't it? So Garfus will help us discover hidden gems as opposed to the popular destinations. Uh, and he'll be available for virtual appointments, which uh, the best part about those appointments is they're free. Why are they free? And how many appointments uh, are available to book? And I ask about the free part because I feel like people in the UAE would actually pay for that. I'm just curious what the strategy was behind that. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, it's a very exciting partnership with Gunnar. Like you said, he's a travel expert. He is a world record holder. He has been to every single country in the world twice. And he has so many other achievements in travel. Um, basically, as an everywhere agent, he will be sharing some tips and recommendations on, on where to go. Um, we did a survey with UAE travelers, over 1,000 of them, and 97% of the people that we spoke to said that they're kind of overwhelmed with the same popular destinations over and over. So they're really looking for some inspiration to go to the lesser known um, destinations. And this is why we've partnered with um, Kunar. The reason why those appointments are free, and actually there will be 20 of them um, on a first-come, first-served basis. But the reason why they are free is because we really believe that, well, our mission is to help people travel 
with ease and confidence and effortlessly. So the reason why it's free, because we really believe that sharing knowledge about travel and getting tips and inspiration from travel experts should be accessible and for everyone and affordable. So even if there was a way to charge for it, maybe the right thing is to actually keep it free. The same way we go to Instagram or social media or TV for travel inspiration. And we could also speak to one of these. I mean, who's better than these people who have been to so many places in, in, in the planet and who have so much to share in terms of tips and inspiration? Absolutely. Okay. But I got to ask if it does, I mean, really well, which I'm guessing it will do well. And I know you only have 20 appointments, but if you start getting the demand, would you consider having that as a new service? For a sky scanner that's that's a good question so we are doing this as a test to really gauge the traveler interest in the region in having um one-to-ones when with experts um like gunar because if you think of it it's a free zoom session mm-hmm. with someone who has a lot to share and they will be there to share tips and recommendations and basically all of the experiences that they have so if it really works and i hope it will then yeah, why not? It could be like uh, something that we keep as always on and something that we can build on and expand. Yeah, absolutely. Just keep it like within the budget, yeah? Just so people like me can can um, afford it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, okay, so what are some of those hidden gems? Could you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, I listened to um, Gunnar and I've also read his um, recommendations, like the ones to um, start off with. And I think the destinations that he has recommended as hidden gems are destinations um, which you can go to from the UAE. So one of the destinations was Bishkek in Kyrgyzstan. It's a five-hour um, trip from Dubai, and there's so much to see in there. Also, as an alternative to um, beach destinations, you can go to Praslin in Seychelles. It's beautiful, nice. amazing beaches. Ladik as well is one of the recommendations that he had. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the great things about being able to travel from the UAE is that there are so many places that are really less popular and haven't been, you know, explored as much as um, the other popular destinations that you would go to from the XP or from the WC. So um, I think this position of Dubai being between Asia, very close to Europe, um, to Africa as well. So there is so much to to discover. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, some travel trends from your report for 2024 show that UAE residents want to travel more this year. And while they do keep value for money in mind, the most important factor is the overall vibe. How Gen Z of UAE residents? <laughs> what exactly is the vibe? <laughs> That's a good question. So um, 54% is actually the um, increase in demand on travel in 2024 in the UAE compared to 2023. That's that's massive. That's mm-hmm. that's a lot. A lot of people, they want to travel this year more than they did last year. And I believe around the same percentage of people also said that they're planning on spending more this year compared to what they did last year. And it makes sense because the pandemic hit the world. People couldn't travel for a long time. So now they're back um, to exploring the world so there is really this intent to um to travel and and see the world and people are stressed right let's just say it how it is it's yeah. been a stressful year <laughs> exactly so yeah go on a trip and then you could you could have and actually that's a yeah. good um introduction to what we mean by a vibe mm-hmm. and some of the um vibes or some of the trends that we've seen in the reports was actually going to sleep retreats or going to destinations where you can sleep better, where you can relax, where you can disconnect. So a vibe is really um, the experience, the overall 
experience and culture that you can have within a destination. People who are really keen on going to destinations where they can sleep better. That's mm-hmm. one. People who are really keen on destinations where films and um, TV shows were shot. And this one also makes a lot of sense because we spent a lot of time in lockdown binge watching a lot of stuff, True. right? Yep. So now we have these very long lists of destinations that we want to go to. And people who couldn't do this in 2023, they want to do it in 2024. Yes. Um, a few other vibes were going to places that are known for food. So going to a place where you can taste the local cuisine, go to a restaurant that has been on your list as well. And the last one was going to destinations to attend gigs and and see um, your favorite artists and bands. I believe the percentage was 72% of the people in UAE, they said it's something they would consider um, in 2024 if it helps them save money. Which is rather interesting. I can't imagine saving money by flying to see a gig. Is it less expensive to fly and see a concert somewhere else than pay for a concert in Dubai? <laughs> so if you think of it, um, Dubai is, is, a, is a place where if an artist is going, a lot of people would want to go and, and see that artist, right? The purchasing power is high and people would pay in order to see their favorite artist. But if that same artist is performing in another country in the region where the tickets might be less expensive, and the flight could be affordable, and if you booked it in advance or if you got a good deal, then actually that might save you some money. I'll, I'll share with you something I did this summer. Um, I couldn't get a ticket to go and see Coldplay in London. It was sold out in Wembley, um, which makes sense. People would fly from all over the world to see them. And actually, I ended up going to Gothenburg in Sweden for a very cheap flight, see Coldplay there, where... The price was all right. It wasn't as expensive as it was in London. And then I just flew back the next day. And you so, actually saved money. Yes, because wow. A, I was already planning on doing that trip. And B, the ticket wasn't expensive as it was on, on in London. So at the end of the day, I hit two birds with the same stone, which is going to a new city that I haven't been to before and seeing one of my favorite artists for less. Uh, you should try it. Remind me to get your number after this because I need to call you before I book a flight. I'll, <laughs> you I'll need share to help some me tips. out because I of feel course. like I've, I've been making some very bad decisions. No, I'm sure you're right. Uh, financial decisions. Yeah, not very good. Uh, right. So, um, sleep tourism is making a splash. I never thought I would say those words. It doesn't make much sense to travel to sleep. Uh, when I travel, I want to get as little sleep as possible so I can see as much as possible. But Apparently, we're exhausted in the UAE. Um, what are the three top cities, the best three top cities for a great night's sleep? Yes. So um, in the report, the Travel Trends report, there were three destinations um, which were reviewed as great destinations um, to go and have really good sleep. The first one was Hoi An in Vietnam. Second one was Santorini in Greece. And the third one was Rome in Italy. And it's basically destinations where the hotels, the overall vibe again um, is good and provides people with really good chance to just disconnect um, just sleep have a good night's sleep after a long flight or after a long year at work so it's basically the hotels which have sleep retreats or um, just facilities really where you can just just have a good night's sleep I never would have thought Rome was a good place to go to sleep. First, because there's so much to see. Second, because the city is just so um, buzzing, buzzing, I guess. Right? Yeah. Who, who would have thought? 
Um, okay, interesting. Do you travel to sleep? <laughs> I'm well, just curious about this one point, traveling to sleep. Yeah, so I think it it makes a lot of sense because it's very hard to switch off these days from work. Um, the world the, the world feels very very busy. Um, we're constantly on our phones. We can't switch off from devices. So sometimes you just want to go on a trip where you completely forget about um, looking at your phone, checking your emails, looking at screen, and just sleep. And so many times, yeah, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go. The first two days, I'll do nothing but just sleep. Then I will recover. Then I'll adjust my jet lag, which I can't wait to do tonight because I'm still jet lagged. There you go. I'll have, I hope I will have a good sleep tonight. Yeah, you know, exactly. the blinds and yeah. AC. The coffee that you just had five minutes ago at Yub is not going to help you. I know. That was yeah, a bad I, I regret it. Julie that. would highly disagree. Julie Malone is a sleep yeah. expert. And, I feel like I failed yeah. her. <laughs> <laughs> Disappointing, Julie. Um, right. Yeah. You know what? That does make sense. Um, I do actually tend to, to fall asleep as well, but I just feel guilty about it because you're out traveling and you want to make the best of it. But got to do what you got to do. Um, Skyscanner reveals, uh, reveals that 37% of UAE travelers plan to upgrade their flight to business or first class in 2024. 42% plan to purchase airport lounge access to get their trip off to a great start. Why are UAE uh, travelers upgrading to business or first? Is, is there something that, um, you know, kicked that off? Uh, what factors have, have led to that? Is it because we've had a stressful year and people want to kind of spoil themselves a little bit more? Yeah, the th I think that's part of it. And I think it also comes down to the nature of... Um, the country and you know the residents of the UAE who a have a purchasing power which is high and therefore um, like they can afford to buy um, 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 airport lounges they can also afford to upgrade their um, trips whether from economy to business or from business to um, first class the other thing is also something that's unique to the region which is um, the loyalty programs right. so a lot of people would prefer to fly with the same airline um, than even if it costs a little bit more than to fly with different airlines that they haven't um, flew before. And therefore, they might get upgrades because they fly with the same airline again and again and again. So that's something that they would get used to. So I think it's it's unique, you know, to, to the region. And um, yeah, there is a high percentage of millennials um, in 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 the country. I, I'm a millennial and I, I, I'll say it on air i cannot afford a business class ticket that's <laughs> yeah well maybe you can you know upgrade um, yeah upgrades yeah hopefully hopefully yeah, i mean if with, you have enough with, miles yeah yeah true but you I love mean, an airport lounge don't you uh airport lounge yes yes that's a great option yeah i just thought that with rents going up uh people wouldn't uh, you know, put that much money towards travel, but yeah, um, but it's, it's a really interesting stat, n nevertheless. Uh, finally, um, destinations that are most popular among UAE travelers, just going to mention them real quick, Osaka, Japan, Antalya, Turkey, Tokyo, Japan, Rome, Berlin, Amsterdam, New York, London, Athens, and Paris. Classics. Paris is my favorite city. What's your favorite city, Ayub? Uh. I think all of them, all of the ones that you've, you've I haven't been to Osaka or Tokyo yet, but all of the others, I believe I've been to them and they're wow. all wonderful. I'm, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. I so, have not been to all those. <laughs> yeah, you should, you should add them to your list. I believe those destinations are the destinations that have seen an increase year on year in terms of searches. Yes, correct. And correct. actually, if you look at the first one and the third one, 
um, in Japan, so that Osaka and Tokyo, yep. if I'm not mistaken. And Japan Over was... 305, yeah, 305% for that's Osaka, yeah. 250% for Tokyo. Wow, that's, that's, that's a lot. That's very high. So Japan was one of the last few countries to reopen fully um, to tourists following Makes the sense. pandemic. Yeah. So there is really appetite to go and see the country again. Mm-hmm. And Osaka is considered the kitchen of Japan. So people really want to going back to the point about traveling for food and local cuisine. So people, they really want to go to Japan to see the country because it has reopened. It's a magnificent country. But Lots also of to foodies try the cuisine. in the UAE. Exactly. <laughs> and for all the budgets, like what's great about Osaka is there is a food experience for everyone, regardless of your budget. Yeah, yeah. You know where I want to go in Japan? I want to go to the Kill Bill restaurant. Ooh. Ugh, that's on my list. <laughs> okay, uh, last question, Ayub. I think we've covered this topic to death, but everyone still wants to know what are the best days and times to travel to save money? I think if every time I got this question and I got a dirham for it, I would be a billionaire. A millionaire? Um, So it it really depends on the route, it really depends on the destination, and um, like there isn't one size that fits all, but basically, in general, Friday from the UAE is the best day to leave, but best day to travel, not to book, is to fly out of the uh, the UAE, and it really depends again, on average it is, but I I would maybe check and compare prices, you know, um, try different combinations of departure airports, try two days earlier, three days later. But yeah, in, in general, um, it is. And I would also say it depends. I feel like you're holding out on us. Is there like another secret or something? Give, give, um, us, give us some travel tips. Try everywhere. <laughs> Going back to everywhere. It's amazing because sometimes you can find some wonderful deals if you put everywhere as a destination instead of specific destination you will get all of the destinations you can fly to from dubai or from the uae ranked by price and sometimes you can find some insane deals on the way here actually i looked it up you can go in february return to budapest for less than 800 dirhams direct budapest oh my gosh so yeah sometimes you can come across some really nice um, deals. Also, be flexible. Flexibility is key. Nice, nice. Do you think my boss will let me, uh, will, will be flexible on my probation and let me fly yeah. maybe after this, uh, after so. having this interview? I f- feel like flying. Um, I, I doubt he will be, but it's okay. Are you going somewhere soon? <laughs> no, I wish. <laughs> still still on, uh, on on probation. Might, might get fired after that comment. Um, thank you, Ayub, so much for your time. Of course. Um, thank you for having me. It was brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. This is a Smashy Business production, part of Augustus Media Podcast Network. Tune in for free on all socials or subscribe on Smashy TV to get access to all shows and audio podcasts.